So, Bill Barnard is an old and incredibly dear friend and brother of mine. Um, we've done a lot of spiritual work together and had a lot of really amazing conversations about the nature of spiritual inquiry and spiritual traditions, philosophy. You know, he... <laughs> Bill is operating at a level both in terms of his own spiritual development and his um, capacities as a professor of comparative religion and philosophy with a focus on mystical experience, right? That is just like this incredible integration of academic rigor mm -hmm. um, and spiritual realization. Okay. And it's just always a total pleasure to be in dialogue with him and get his take on on what's what. Sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Me too, man. It's always fun to talk to Bill. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. I have the slightest clue of where we can start. I mean, Bill, we've talked about this a little bit, that the idea is more of a kind of a conversational jazz than it is like, okay, let's talk yeah. about this. Um, yeah. Certainly, you know, anything that you really want to talk about, we're happy to talk about. But I thought a, a place of some level of intersection uh, the class that you mentioned to me that you got that big grant to teach that was like the Tao Te Ching oh, yeah. and two oh, other yeah. things. I thought the, it might the, be the interesting. One, the... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just I know that book. The, 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 no, no. It's, it's because it, it was canceled for lack of enrollment. Oh, <laughs> so I, that, I just had to laugh. I'm sorry. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. It, it said something. So, but I'm glad you guys are interested in it. No, <laughs> I mean, we would, we, we would take that class. We would have taken it. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> well, then maybe, maybe uh, I don't know whether this will still be a good idea. It wasn't so much no, about the um, what it was like to teach it, though that certainly would be interesting, yeah. but kind of your thought process behind it and, you know, just because yeah. there's some some connection to the fact that we're in the Chinese medicine world and know something yeah. about yeah. classical Chinese philosophy and bringing sure, your sure. work and our work together a little bit. I thought it might be an yeah. interesting place to start, but I'm not attached yeah. to that idea by any stretch. No, I mean, no, it's, 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 I mean, my, my idea with this was, you know, I, I have several friends who are ethicists and, and, and I, and I, and it, when I was getting my PhD, the man who was my mentor at Chicago was really interested in the, in the intersection between, um, psychotherapy and ethics actually and, and what they call pastoral counseling and things like this and so I, I i he got me sort of like going in that direction and um what i began to just from my you know i'm not an ethicist myself um but i began to be really aware when i was just doing my own sort of you know entry-level explorations of what of sort of western understandings of ethics that they really um, weren't that interested in, um, let's say, what I, what I would call spiritual or mystical ethics. My, my little kitty is wanting to do that. <laughs> so, um, you know, and because 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 you know there was a real um, strong need with with you know especially with the coming of the enlightenment and kant and, and a very understandable need to divorce ethics from religion 
right? And to try to find a foundation of ethics that was based in re in reason. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, they basically just said, all that sort of stuff, you know, we were just, is it, you know, almost in some ways it, it almost isn't really ethics because it almost began to find ethics as like, you know, decisions made rationally from an individual, you know, and I began to say, well, really for me, I, I began to ask my, you know, self, I mean, how do I make ethical decisions? And for me, it's always, well, I want to quiet my mind. I want to open my heart. I want to be aligned with the deepest source within me that I know how. And that source that's within me is not just within me as an individual. It's, I would like to open and certainly have an experience of that it's, it's a cosmic source. Right? That, that's an interconnected source. That's a source that's not just limited to the parameters of this body mind, right? And that, and the, the, the issue then becomes, is that source how do you access that source and how trustworthy is that source and is that source moral or transmoral or amoral that's that's a real becomes a really big issue and and these were a lot of these were questions that um i explored with my friend jeff kripal um mm -hmm. we did a we did a edited co-edited a book called crossing boundaries um, explorations in mystical ethics or something. I, I forget the, the subtitle of it. Um, and, but it's basically, he took the position that mystics were amoral and that the source uh, that mystics were tapped into was amoral as well. Um, it, mainly drawing upon a lot of the antinomian sort of uh, activities of various mystics that Antinomian meaning, you know, just claims that they were beyond any sort of social uh, boundaries of, 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 of ethics and morality and that they could free to just do what they, they will, they would because they were embodiments of that cosmic source. And then if that's the truth, then they were doing some pretty awful things. And so therefore, the source that they were tapped into was amoral at best, if not immoral. Can you know? I and so we... we, we yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, jump in. But it's all good. Um, so one of the things as you've been speaking that I, I, I feel like you kind of touched on, but I think might merit more exploration is that, so the moral <clears throat> quality or lack thereof of the source is one thing, but then there is going to be some kind of transmission translation through whatever this body mind constellation is. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. Yeah. it seems like yeah. that maybe I didn't understand, but there's like a step that's not entirely fleshed out where it's like, so the mystic has their own particular, you know, constellation of life experiences and circumstances. And certainly there are plenty of people that make the case like, okay, well you get, fully awakened and all of that doesn't exist, but you know, you're still yes. awakened in a particular incarnate yeah. self that has its own kind of cellular memory, you know, its own kind yeah. of imprinting. Yeah. So I'm just wondering either your thoughts or um, how much that comes into play in, in some of this discourse on the 
amoral, transmoral, moral sort of nature of source via yeah. how that gets stepped down and then, you know, expressed yeah. through the individuated self. No, it's, 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 of course, you know, you and I, we, we just like thinking. <laughs> so, so, you know, of course, I mean, these, these are the major issues. I mean, so, um, you know, a lot of these traditions do claim that they're, that once you become fully enlightened or awakened or, you know, self-realized or whatever, that, that you are perfect and that, that you, there is no, that, yeah, you're working yourself, expressing through a particular body, mind and cultural context and all that sort of stuff, but that it's a, it's a pure transparency. And so that none of that is any obstacle for a complete effortless, spontaneous guidance moment to moment. And in that guidance, there's, there's no impediment. There's no whatever. I don't, I'm not there. Uh, and I'm not, and Jeff certainly wasn't there. Have you, you have know? you ever witnessed a being that you felt like was there? I certainly, you know, spent many years with a being that what, for many years I thought was there. My own teacher, Muktananda. Yeah. Um, I mean, I basically thought of him as God on earth and basically like hanging out with Jesus from my perspective. And I spent mm -hmm. like eight years living very closely cheek and jowl with him and observing him very carefully. And it wasn't until the last, you know, um, basically a few months of his existence on earth when I finally figured out, well, maybe sleeping with young teenage girls isn't probably a demonstration of, of, of moral perfection, you know? And, uh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, I do, I do. And, yeah. and, so, and so this was uh, quite shocking and disturbing and actually was the basis for Jeff and for our book because mm. we had frequent discussions about this in grad school and it was a live topic. This was not just an academic issue. Wait, did you guys go to graduate to... school together? Is that how you know? Oh, you? yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah, that's, that's, that's the part of the story yeah. I didn't know. I just knew that you were... Yeah, yeah. Had some long yeah, history as colleagues. No, we're, That's awesome. We're best buddies. No, we're yeah. totally best buddies at, at grad school. And um, so we would, I, I was constantly sort of, you know, thrashing this out with him. And, you know, and, um, you know, he, he, he tended to be a little more, um, a little more cynical about these sorts of things. I was still so, somewhat idealistic. And so, I mean, from my perspective with Muktananda, even though I had to work for, <laughs> I think I probably worked. In, 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 my, in the interior of my being, I say for a couple of decades to really, really come to grips with, with that sort of enormity of that revelation for me. Um, mm -hmm. That here with this man that I thought was morally perfect was sleeping with young girls and, and a very, you know, I mean, what, what I, we, I mean, to me, it's sort of like the way I, the way I phrased it with, with Jeff is so sort of like, and the way I actually talked about it in, in my section of the, of the book was like, it's like sort of a, a Zen, a moral Zen koan, mm. you know, because mm. I, I had this this experience of him, and of and of God and of and of the cosmos or whatever that there is this underlying perfection. I mean, I've had mm -hmm. multiple, just some of the deepest mystical experiences in my life have been this sense of just this scintillating perfection of of the underlying sort of isness of the cosmos, right? And then, you know, there's, and, and, and he was the one who helped me to open that up to that 
and dive into it. I mean, literally, it was a transmission of, mm -hmm. of it was it was a pure awakening to my own divine nature that, that it was transmitted in and through that man. Yeah. You know, and so I was like, I got that. And then I've got this other thing that I just refuse to paper. I have many friends that would just rationalize it out, you know, and just, you mm -hmm. know, he, he was doing it for their own good. He was, you know, like that, whatever. And you can, you can imagine all the sort of justifications for that, right? And I said, no, that is just, that's just, I'm not going to do that. And so there was this sort of Zen Cohen mm -hmm. tension within me that, that felt very positive and that where I didn't want to... Uh, overly quickly come to some sort of what they call it, the fancy word theodicy, right? Some right. sort of justification for, mm. you know, if God is all powerful and all knowing and all good, how can evil exist, right? I mean, so then you come up with theodicy like karma and, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I'm like, no, I don't think so. I want to just live in the tension. And not mm. overly quickly, rationally solve that, right. right? And use that tension as an engine to really dive as deep as I can into this, into the felt quality of that question within me. Well, right, and you know, I'm not an integralist by any stretch, but I do think that um, the way that Ken incorporates the ideas of <clears throat> the idea of lines and levels into the integral model is a pretty good way of creating a conceptual framing for phenomenon like this, right? Like you can be, as you're noting, incredibly realized and also have like, you know, unprocessed shadow material in a variety of ways, especially in a psychosexual realm. We have seen it countless times. In fact, it's almost perhaps in this kind of inverse relationship with some of these cats, right? The more God realized they are, the less they have actually worked right. that in many cases, psychosexual, you know, piece. Um, but so, you know, sure. I think that, yeah, that tension is something that really makes sense because we see it over and over again. Yeah. Do you, because I've definitely seen this and even in my own experience with my teachers over the years, do you think that that's, has something to do with like, <clears throat> I'm going to dip a little, because you're familiar with the, the, the Neijing, I'll dip a little bit into our world. Um, like that when you're connecting with the, um, the pre-heaven uh, essence of ourselves, when you're trying to connect with the something that's beyond or, or, you know, prior, yeah, pre, to. prior to our conception, yeah. which is yeah. this all powerful cosmic energy that's, you know, creating everything or at least guiding the creation of things when you're trying to figure out the chemistry within yourselves to connect with that resonance, do you think that you're sort of unlocking the other side of that, which in this shape, in this form is um, wh what governs our sexuality, what governs yeah. our drive to procreate, what governs yeah. our, you know, our animal instincts in a lot of ways. Um, because I see that it's kind of the same side of the coin. Like you're, you know, the drive to create new material like yeah. yourself is sort of the flip side of completely ascending to uh, a light being that just transmits. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, because <clears throat> I, 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 maybe I'm not, I haven't thought about it enough, but like, I, I, I wonder why it's that specific uh, hang up yeah. that happens with yeah. a lot of 
beings like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't. These are good questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is Especially our jam that, session. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, right? It's like, it's that, it's, let's just get, let's start surfing on that one. Yeah, <laughs> good. Why not? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a little reluctant be, because I, to, to go too deeply into that because in terms of like why that right because because i think there are other ones i think there are power issues i think there's uh, like you yeah. know, mm -hmm. addictive issues mm -hmm. and i've seen all sorts of things like this too i don't think it's just that that's the first okay. thing right? i don't think it's just yeah. the sexual thing but and i think you know you could say well he was a supposedly a you know, a celibate monk for so long and they, that gets, there was a whole sort of like um, holding in and holding back those energies. And, um, and yet he talks about in his, in his autobiography, the play of consciousness that in his, in his, as part of his uh, Shaktipat, the, uh, the uh, awakening of the Kundalini energy that he received from his guru, that, uh, one of the first initial responses was extreme sexual energy as and 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 he was tormented by it and seeing all these naked women dancing and you know try you know felt you know all this desire aroused and, and he literally talks about his penis you know becoming erect and digging into his navel and I mean it's it's a whole thing in, in wow. the in the autobiography right and um and then he and then he read that well no no this is just that kundalini energy that's piercing that particular opening that particular you know chakra that particular you know the swadishtan the second chakra and so then that it, it helped him you know in, in his own sort of thinking about this and so but i think i mean it, this just this is just Muktananda, right? And, and so I think there was also a whole thing later where here's this monk and he's got tremendous power. I mean, tremendous power. There's only I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm talking um, power, monetary power, a political power, power over people, enormous amount of wealth and and and, and just influence. Um, people adored him, quite literally worshipped him, right? And um, so to whatever degree there was any of just like what Taryn's talking about, uncooked material, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, it's just a whole hotbed, I can only imagine, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Can't imagine I mean, I can't. if I were in those shoes, I, it would be a mess, dude, right? Like, I, yeah. Oh my God. I, I, I mean, and, and, and I, I've never met a more spiritually powerful human being. This mm. is what the thing is. I mean, and I and I found out some pretty powerful spiritual people, uh, and and there's nothing like him. I mean, he could enter a room, and you could feel his field like fifty feet, a hundred feet away. I mean, mm -hmm. and 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 it was just like like a, a palpable force. And here he is awakening hundreds of people at a shot, never before been done in history. <clears throat> And I mean, and awakening the whole room. I mean, just going crazy. I mean, and people, the, the experiences they're having afterwards, and just revolutionizing them. And so he also was, and again, I don't know, I don't want to, you know, but from what I've heard, he also was sort of later in this time period exposed to tantric ideas and tantric scriptures that I don't know if he had been really that aware of and began to be started to teach him began to 
and these tantric scriptures I began to slowly become aware have a whole relationship with, you know, the spirituality of sexuality, you know? And so I think gave him a framework for sort of saying, oh, you know, here's all this too, you know, way to sort of like, and, and for me, it's, it's actually, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a flat out tantrica right now. I mean, I, I, I think those, that, that way of, of perceiving the world is just is exquisite and extremely refined and powerful and beautiful. But I can also see how in someone in his position, it could give a, a sort of a carte blanche to, you know, really probably in his own mind, feel like he was initiating these young women and helping them out and, and, and I, and I, the, when I finally talked to one, you know, this is a hall of mirrors, you know, I mean, it was always third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand, you know, and so I finally, 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 finally talked in person to a woman who had a sexual relationship with him. <clears throat> she felt blessed initially. Right. Felt totally blessed. And if she's initiated, she, you know, later she was one of the major people, I think she went to therapy. And, and, and began to realize, hey, I think I was abused. And, and, and she became one of the major instigators online for saying, hey, this was wrong and, and stuff like this. And so, <clears throat> but initially that was her take, right? Um, so just to talk about the complexities of it, I mean, it's, I mean, so, so for myself at this point, it was a real catalyst to sort of say, you know, I want to go for the highest, but I also want to be integrated. You know, and I want to be a human being, and I and I don't and I don't mind being a human being. I love being a human being. I love having. I, I don't want my goal to be this sort of a, a dissolution of of my humanity. You know, I want it to be a a full shining forth of divinity in and through my particular quirks and and flaws, even right. And I, and I don't I don't think that. My goal, my goal is to just sort of open into what is in its full complexity, right? And, and with a movement, though, part of who I am is I want to become a better person. I want to become more compassionate. I want to become more clear. I want to become more wise. This is what Tara and I have talked about, the notion of divinization, right? So I want to become something better while at the same time, I want to awake to the perfection of what is and embrace that. Right. So that's that's a, that's another tension that a paradoxical tension that I have. Yeah, it's I mean, really and I think too life. this uh, turn he took right with the tantric texts and potentially working with a framework that I think fundamentally is about liberation. And if we're talking about being in yeah. the service of liberation of other beings, if I yeah. conduct myself in such a way where um, they are less free, they have less choice because of yeah. how I behave, then in point of fact, I'm actually acting counter right to the doctrine yeah. or the format that ostensibly I'm working right. within. Right. And so, you know, it's yeah. like, it kind of doesn't yeah. matter how free or awakened I am or believe myself yeah. to be, or other people yeah. believe me to be, but if these are yeah. the fruits of my actions, right, then yeah. that's not actually yeah. about, that's not about serving the liberation of yeah. others. Yeah. Um, and consequently it can't you, be about serving can. my own liberation further. 
I would say. No, 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 for sure. No, for sure. And that's why I refuse to, to give him the stamp of approval while at the same time I refuse to sort of throw away the baby with the bathwater and totally. sort of say like, oh my God, this man revolutionized my life. Yeah. And, and so I, I still have his picture on my altar. But it's full of the complexity of that, right. of my relationship with him. I literally, you know, Terry, you'll know this. I, I did a whole thing when I was in Brazil um, when we were doing the uh, the mass, you know, and it was it was on the Day of the Dead, and the whole sense of contacting Muktananda's mm. sort of uh, spirit and just like working with that yeah. <laughs> it was a work it was rough you know because it was like on the one hand you know he's a presence energetic strong presence and on the other hand is like how could you you know what i mean so it mm-hmm. was like and i, I and, and working to forgive him and to bless him and to help you know shine light on him mm-hmm. and, and to thank him and to say you know i mean so it was a whole psycho spiritual internal yeah process right that that happened and it was but it's like whew, you know but it, it, it was sort of like just like a almost like a symbolic uh coda to uh like you said almost like two decades worth of right. processing with him well and there's something so. to me really beautiful <laughs> yeah. about the way that you chose to work with that tension right because one of the you know one of the earliest definitions i ever had for what the spiritual path was is the reconciliation of apparent opposites right yeah you know it's kind of this western hermetic orientation to like what it means to like be able to hold or what's the uh fitzgerald quote that i'm going to probably slaughter but you know the one about like the sign of a first-rate mind is being able to hold two oppositional ideas right at the same time yeah. right without yeah. going mad um, and I, yeah. I still think that there's something to be said for this capacity yeah. to be like, it, it's a both and, right? Oh. It's, it's, you know, it's always a both and, even if oh my God. I can't figure out how to reframe my confusion as understanding, to quote Stephen Forrest at this particular moment, right? Yeah. My confusion is only ever understanding that I haven't ripened into yet. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. You know, and, and for me, you know, in my own teaching and working with students, it's always a both end. And I mean, and, and again, all, to me, it's like, like, it always comes back to that sense of like, I'm in process. And part of my being in process is to soften into and relax into the perfection of what is. Mm. And, um, and but perfection doesn't mean, you know, like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big I don't know, you know, I, I don't even know how you define that perfection, but it's sort of an internal feeling of like just the exquisite beauty of, I mean, it's just sort of the tantric vision is like savoring every moment, right, as it is, including all the darkness and all this pain and the struggle and the suffering and just getting to a place where it's like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. It's so exquisite and and I'm so blessed and I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. And this is something that I was thinking of before our conversation, because I know, I know Taryn, you know, two, two of us have, have had this conversation because I was thinking, I, you know, I, uh, to, to me, and this, maybe this is just part of those, that paradox that on the one hand, 
there does seem to be that sort of more the Tao Te Ching sense of like, or the I Ching sense of like, if you go too high, then you got to go low. And, you know, the, the balancing, right? You know, the, the sense of the ups and the downs, and you know that you you, you and and I've and I know that for sure is true. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, I I do have this just this sense that it's like. It feels good. It feels good and right to feel within myself the capacity, ever increasing capacity, to feel more and more joy, and more and more of like just pleasure in my like subtle body, and just um, the capacity to be just. Um, and it feels like that the, the nature of reality, on some level, is that as well. That there's like a sense of, at least for me that there's almost unspeakable amounts of, you know, the, the, the Sanskrit term is ananda, right? But that's our nature, it's our true nature of love and joy and freedom and vitality and, you know, and, and, and that doesn't seem to be a up and down thing. That seems to be like, like a up or in sort of movement that feels good to me and it feels right and authentic. So I, I, this would be my like conversation. Like, what, what do you guys think about that? You know, I mean, because I know from the Chinese perspective, I, where would you go with that? You know. So one of the things I think is that, um, so one of the main, if you look at the, the really old, really old Taoist texts, like the Nei, on the one hand, there is this, there's definitely a primacy that's put on you know, not being disturbed, not and and being tranquil, and kind of like this sort of like, you know, old school, almost Theravadan Buddhist kind of mm -hmm. orientation to like steady on mate consciousness. Mm -hmm. At the same time, <laughs> at the same time, you know, the practice of Zolwang, which is the oldest Taoist practice, the practice of sitting and forgetting, <clears throat> well, yeah. the oldest Taoist meditative practice, right, <clears throat> which is referenced a lot in the Schwanza. Um, and in the DDJ is mm -hmm. really this practice of like non-dual dissolution into the natural state, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like a naive perennialist and be like, you know, A is B here, but at the same time, I think in some respects, it's like the framing of the return from the kind of like the dissolution of the you know the self that has a name that was born and that dies into right, a self right. that is beyond let's not use the transcend word but is like is trans yeah. permeates right and is also yeah. uh what the smaller self subsists within and in the fabric right. of which that is made i wonder if some of the like the orientation to how we uh, describe that experience when we come back into a symbolic consciousness state yeah. is really culturally embedded. Um, I mean, that's sort of an obvious statement. A lot of it is culturally yeah. embedded. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if it's culturally embedded yeah. to such a degree that, you know, uh, this, this cycle of that you speak to in terms of the Tao Te Ching and the I Ching, the changes they're talking about are happening already in the place where we're, we're in the world where yin and yang have separated. 
But the yeah. place I think you're speaking to, I, I think, and the place that I'm speaking yeah. to for sure, is a place that Lucas was speaking to earlier about this kind of prenatal orientation, yeah. the thing that happens before do the 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 split yeah. you know into right. yin and yang and before the fabric of chi kind of arises right. out of that right. so that would be right. the thing that i would wonder is like it's not necessarily the discourse but like why is everybody laughing and all those Taoist stories like why is there so much comedy because it's joyful right yeah. because when you see yeah. that yeah. when you realize that like it's fucking hysterical all of it yeah. and that's yeah. this expression yeah. like this kind of madcap expression of joy which i think is yeah. the taoist version of the phenomenon that you're kind of describing as this yeah. Yeah. expansive yeah. you know ananda state um i mean and you know yeah. someone else might say i'm totally full of it but i i, th I think yeah. that i think these things are kissing cousins at the very least even if they're not you know the same necessarily yeah and i'm with you I'm, I'm definitely with you with that and, and it's, it's like i i tend to think of uh you know that for my i i guess and to me it's like it's sort of like a a question because i'm, I'm like okay because i i want to go for the highest i want this is just my nature i always want to go for the highest i want to you know just make the most of every moment i i i i don't want to ever sort of so to, and, and i know some of that's like you know, that perfectionism in me, I'm a, I don't know if you got into the Enneagram, I'm a number one for sure. I mean, I'm just like, I just, that's all I care about is just getting things right and doing things right, you know? And so there's all sorts of, you know, distortions and stuff around that issue for me. But at the same time, underneath it, there is just, it is just part of my framework and hopefully in a more evolved way to, to like, I want to, you know, I want to grow and I want to really manifest love and light in this world. I want to be a, a, a vehicle of, 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 you know, of awakening for, for, for just by being who I am. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, I want to serve. And, um, and so it's a pretty, it's not a, it's not an oscillating feeling. I mean, that life oscillates for mm -hmm. me, but there is this just sort of like, you know, like, like that's this is where I want to go, and then I want to go out like this. You know, so right. I want to then I want to offer it. You know, but but meaning that, uh, you know, and and I don't necessarily I don't feel within myself a tension about that, um, but I know that when I've when I've um, focused some on and like we were talking about like when I was preparing for that one class where we started this conversation off with, you know, it's like there is such a focus on that sense of being attuned to the timing of things and mm -hmm. a, a sense of sort of mm -hmm. the um is that you don't want to you don't want to force anything you don't want to go too hard with too and, and and that's been part of my growth you know is that sense of that sense of just trusting that the sort of the pulsation and timing of my spiritual life right and um because, oh my God, early on, holy crap, I was just like storming the gates of heaven. I didn't, I, that, that's why I was, a, I was a monk, you know, I was, I was, I, I was a celibate in my twenties for like 40, like, 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 like I started, I, I received Shaktipati in like uh, 1975 and, and for like the next seven, eight years, I was a celibate training to be a monk, you know, I mean, and, and I was like meditating 
two, three hours a day. I was doing selfless service for eight or nine. I was chanting six hours a day, you know, and I'm just like, you know, and I'm not there now, you know, but at the same time, it feels uh, just sitting talking to you to me is like my, my practice right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be really fully present and, and in my heart and not fully, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, but as fully as I know how, right. right? Mm-hmm. And to, and to want to give myself as much into being as present and heartfelt and, and my mind is clear and calm as I know how. I think that this, moment, and that's like, you know, I think this thing you're speaking to though, there's a little bit, um, right. The verticality and like, mm-hmm. you know, hell bent for leather on going for what is perceived to be higher or heavenly yeah. in that sense. Yeah. And yeah. that played off against this other thing that you're speaking to about like really being in the relationality and in the present. Yeah. And I think that the, Taoist project, at least as I understand it, you know, in my body and in my reading of the texts, is the the relationality and the present and the kind of like grounded into the body and into the earth to yeah. allow for this kind of other experience to have a platform yeah. um, is like yeah. a really, really big deal. So like, you know, certainly in a lot of the yeah. Indian traditions, there's physical practice, but so often the physical practice is like is some way to like get over having a body, right? Uh-huh. As yeah. opposed to get into the vehicle yeah. within which the transformation and the awakening is actually happening. So there's so much of this internal alchemy in Taoism, which is like largely, at least in my understanding at the moment, about, you know, it's essentially like cultivating a space. You're creating a temple, but you like, you're really living in that temple, right? Yeah. And that's yeah, the, and yeah. it's within the temple that you're consecrating yeah. and creating through these various breath and visualization and intention and movement practices that allows for the kind of contemplative practice to like flourish in this way where, you know, there is this pulsation, but that pulsation is also so much related to harmonizing with a breath that is, you know, as fundamental to the patterning of the universe as anything can be in terms of the patterning and manifestation. Right. And that it's within that resonance with the cosmic breath within the, physical body right so not just respiration but there's another thing called the true breath which is kind of this mm. yin and yang expansion of the dantian mingmen right that is mm. the thing that um all other oscillatory rhythms are predicated on that phenomenon and this is a thing that mm. like it's not mm. that hard to learn how to perceive you know in yourself yeah. and then it's you know you can work with it in medicine and like um, you know, it's, it's really powerful to tap into that. And there's martial arts, internal martial arts that work with it a lot too, because when you start Mm -hmm. to tap into that, it's like, it's this thing that is, you know, the whole cosmos is like breathing through you right in this way, you know? So on the one hand, it's simple and subtle. And on the other hand, it's like, you know, you are one with oscillations and turnings of the universe. It's kind of cool. But again, it's like it's happening with it's happening within the body. Right. right? Yeah. Which is why yeah, there's such yeah. a primacy placed on longevity and quote immortality practices in Taoism. Right, right, right. Because right, it is right. like you want to take the temple with you, even though most people that I know that are really serious are like, Yeah, that yeah. you weren't really taking the temple with you. 
right? Like the, yeah. it was, it was, you were so transparent, right? right. Like right. other people would say that's not true, that literally they're physically immortal, but most of the folks that I know orient yeah. more towards this idea that it's a alignment, uh, clearing, a purification, you know, and a, yeah. an awakening process, but in the body as well. So mm-hmm. no, I don't know. I, yeah, my... I, always, I love it. I love it because it's like, to me, that's definitely where I'm at for sure. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I used to be very much be, and we've talked about this, you know, with, when I was with Moktananda, it very much was for me an up and out phenomenon. And I, mm-hmm. and, and I, I, my, the chakras from my top half of my heart up were just like lit up, you know, and I'm just like, but everything below that was like, eh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to go there, you know, and, and, this, and, and, and that, you know, there, you know, there are definite sort of more ascetic, you know, sort of mindsets that, that very much denigrate, you know, the body and, and sexuality and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so, so much of my work, oh my God, once I, I sort of, uh, left city yoga was with the healing schools was very much that of just sort of like opening up and reclaiming my personal power, my sexuality, being grounded on the earth, being in the body, um, you know, and, 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 and genuine just love relationships as people to people instead of just, uh, devotional. That's meant, that's what I meant by the top half of the heart, mm-hmm. right? It's just, instead of just devotional love, but also like love for people. Right. especially you know just like romantic love whatever you know and all that stuff to me earlier would, would have been seen like a, a fall from grace and like I'm, I'm off the path and uh whereas for now it, for at this point it's sort of like oh my gosh you know that's what i, I mean for especially again as a ta- as a tantrika it's like the whole thing is about spiritualizing the body mm-hmm. and um and being fully in the body and being fully in relationship in the moment and and the inner inner play the intersection between the, the two that is one that is two you know and, and that, that sort of interplay and um you know um so yeah so i i i i, I i've always been struck just in my own sort of academic exploration between the resonances between you know Taoist spirituality and and tantra it's it's pretty astonishingly similar, you know, and, and, and you know, you wonder about how much of the cross cultural correspondences are there, how much mutual influencing and you know, back and forth conversation is going on, how much they're just sort of like spiritual geniuses that are tapping into a very similar strata of, of realization. Yeah. And I, I tend to think it's it's both. Yeah. I think so too. I mean we certainly know from the Chan, you know, Buddhism Taoism, Zen connection that there was, for at least sure. at that point, there was a ton of cross pollination. Sure. So it would sure. seem like it was likely there was at yeah. least some before that. But I, yeah, I definitely. I mean, I mean, certainly Tibetan and, and and I mean, I mean, Buddhist and Hindu tantra are basically identical. Right, I mean, it came from a, clearly the same source. Yeah, um, and maybe developed in different mm-hmm. ways, but mm-hmm. but there's uh, that. So I, that would be an interesting thing to see how much the the, the Buddhist tantra thing influenced the conversation was with with Taoist yeah. sort of spirituality. I haven't, I never really haven't seen that, you know, explicitly mapped out or. I haven't either. About, but, I haven't you know, either. It, it could have been burned. Yeah. 
by the Chinese. <laughs> I mean, it could have. I mean, That's fair. Fine. They did burn a lot of things. <laughs> but to me, it doesn't really matter. I'm not so much as much right. concerned with the historical issues. It's just sort of just the, you know, like the mind-boggling sense of, um, and not so mind-boggling actually, though, if you think about it. If, if I mean, I don't. You know, if, if I'm going to have to think about sort of the nature of ultimate reality, um, it's going to be a it's going to be a oneness, but not some sort of static oneness. But it's good. It's going to be a oneness that proliferates into manyness and embraces manyness. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's not going to be just like that. If we're talking ultimacy, we're talking ultimacy. I'm sorry, you know. I, I mean, it's fair. like, and, and, it's, and it's going to be translated and through different cultural matrices and through our own particular sets of psychological and cultural understandings, of course. But um, I, I think there's a there there. Yeah, I mean, that's what you I know? wrote. Uh, you know. You know, my final paper at Naropa for my interdisciplinary degree was on basically the realization in the daimi of ultimate truth and the realization in the Uttara Tantras. Um, and I made the case that you just made that if something is yeah. truly ultimate and is truly non-dual, it, it has to be the same, which on the one hand, you know, you get, you get a fair amount of discourse around in, in various circles because a lot of people, um, I was listening to, uh, what's that cat's name? The, so remember I told you that I was started reading process and reality and I'm listening to yeah, John yeah, Cott's like lectures it. on it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. the kid who got him to come do these lectures is like a, you know, evangelical dude. And he was talking about um, these kinds of different realizations and the difference between salvation and realization and, you know, how yeah. with evangelicals, especially like when you explained that salvation and realization or enlightenment weren't the same thing, they were much more interested potentially in learning from folks that were in enlightenment yeah. traditions than when they thought that somebody yeah. was trying to tell them and vice versa. So I yeah. respect that right, this right. is can, can be sometimes viewed as a position that's like um, flattening the different kinds of yeah. realization yeah. and um, yeah. relationship with the divine. And I don't yeah. necessarily mean to say that, no. but at the same time, yeah, no. I do think that if we, if we are speaking about dissolution into something that is beyond symbolic consciousness like then maybe there are depths yeah. and degrees but at the same time like how are we talking about different yeah. things there's no more difference at that point yeah right yeah no exactly right you know and this is a whole thing <laughs> that you know i was part of um something called the forge institute which is run, run by bob foreman started by the guy bob foreman who was this uh scholar of comparative mysticism and sort of took, took me under his wing and, and so we were having a whole there's a whole big back and forth between sort of his camp and this guy named stephen katz and mm -hmm. he wrote this couple of very very important books about mysticism like uh, mysticism and philosophical analysis was the, the first big one and, and he was one of the first people that was saying uh no you look at these texts and basically just what you were saying, you know, that nirvana is not the same as mystical union and, and, and you cannot conflate them and you should not conflate them. And right. these are different. And, 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 but, but basically it's coming from a, at best sort of like, like a Kantian 
sense that all we know is the numa, is is the phenomena. We can never know the noumena, and so yeah. all we can talk about is the phenomena. And 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 if we're only talking about phenomena, all we have really is text. Right. <laughs> that was, the, and so then the text is using different language, and we have to respect the differences, right? And so it's 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 embedded in this whole sense of of you know the french philosophical emphasis on difference and right. you know and all that sort of stuff do they right? get into some yeah. of like one of the main issues that always i find i'm gonna rewind that and start it again so the embedded perspective of the construct of language right for me is always a question that i feel like can get maybe not given its due in that kind of discourse. Cause like if we're speaking of any of the Indo-European languages and maybe I've already given this rap to both of you because I rap it a lot these days. So I apologize if I have, but like <laughs> the okay. fact that the, the fact that the Indo-European languages are subject predicate based and that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it is in the words of my buddy, Jeff Carrera, like a things in space model of reality. Right. Yeah. It's, there's like no way to ever get out from under that because we're putting yeah. the very, like we're, we're filtering whatever the experience is into a language yeah. that takes it not just from the, you know, pre or primary to symbolic consciousness realm, but then also takes something that is dynamic and processual and like binds it into the objective, yeah. right. And makes everything yeah. into nouns. And like, mm-hmm. as, and one of the things I say to people when they first start working with me in the clinic, you know, and they want to know what Chinese medicine is or why classical Chinese medicine is different than TCM or, you know, which in some respects it's not, but nonetheless, you know, I'm always like, well, look, Chinese medicine and Chinese classical philosophy is all about process. It's all about yeah. dynamic <clears throat> movements. You know, and so anytime yeah. we talk about something being a thing, we're not Chinese medicine mm-hmm. anymore. We're something mm-hmm. else. We might be still using the language of Chinese medicine. I might be talking about <clears throat> Taoism or talking about the Neijing or whatever, but as soon as I have yeah. reified and thingified any yeah. process, we're out of that. And yeah. so then I guess all of this is the preamble to me saying, in terms of this idea that we're going to look at these texts, we only have the phenomena, not the noumena, but all we have is the phenomena in the language of the person who's reporting it, which in and of itself has a set of preconditions that, depending on who you're reading, may or may not be getting examined, right? And so, well, how does actually, that... these the well the, these guys, I mean, they're smart ass guys, yeah. are very aware of that. Cool. You know, in fact, in fact, that's one of the main reasons why they're like you know, sort of opposed to perennialism. Mm. It's because they think, hey, it's always coming filtered through these grids of language. Right. Mm. And so you can't escape that. The, right. the phenomena is itself structured by language. Mm. You know, there's, there's because the, this is this is part of the whole, what they call the linguistic turn in, philo- in Western philosophy. You know, it goes back to Wittgenstein yeah. and all that sort of, you know, the sense that all we really know is language and everything is is... is filtered through language and you know so it's the the languageification of 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 reality in a sense for them and i do you think know vicky mccabe's work at all that though huh do you know vicky mccabe's work at all mm-hmm. coming to our senses is like one of her better known books so uh 
the flip, right, of this thing that we're talking about and <clears throat> is that we also, though, exist primarily in this kind of perceptual engagement with the world that is not linguistic, right? Yeah. What modern, you know, neuroscience is demonstrating really clearly is that we are primarily perceiving things on a structural level and it's happening way deeper than kind of conscious thought. And, you know, you yeah. can track this and like seeing how people think that they're making a decision to do something. And then they, you know, mm -hmm. 10 milliseconds, five milliseconds, 50 milliseconds earlier, all of the things yeah. have gone into play. People can react to these kinds of mm -hmm. things and they frame it as intuition, which it is, but intuition often is not primarily a psycho-spiritual phenomenon, but it's this phenomenon of the capacity for perception to recognize these kinds of structural relationships and then act upon them without mm -hmm. having to go into the realm of cognition, right? right? It's the right, thing that right. keeps you alive driving a car, right? Or yeah. like if you're yeah. in, if you've trained yeah. in martial arts and you're, you know, right. at a pretty decent level and you're sparring and you find yourself doing yeah. things that you either didn't know yeah. you knew how to do, or, you know, this from Aikido, you know, this from a bazillion different right. martial arts, Lucas. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think that this tension between the linguistic turn, right? And, and this thing where we yeah. are getting caught in the way that the language constructs things is also, it's super true, but it's super true primarily when we're dealing in realms of concept, you know? And if we're yeah. dealing in realms of yeah. like the kind of reality that is, uh, you can't argue your way out of, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. It doesn't matter what you yeah. think about gravity, <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah. if you... If you get hit by that car, gravity's yeah. going to trump whatever perspective you might have in that moment, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. No, no, it's true. And, and you know, I mean, I think that that's, that's, again, part of this there, you know, that's why I was so interested in, you know, Burke's song, because he, he he's really trying to work with that, where he's, he's aware of the power of words and, and all the things you're saying, but, you know, he's a processualist too, right? And so right. from his perspective, it's like, there is a that sort of pre-linguistic and he, he's one of the first people to really talk about intuition and so for him intuition mm -hmm. is something that um uh is is is, is that sort of pre-verbal attunement with the flux of life in essence mm -hmm. right and um but it carries with it a type of knowing but it's not a it's not a cognitive knowing right it but there's a knowledge there so he's one of the first people to talk about the wisdom of the body and, and all of these sorts of things and uh you know and so it's, it's a fascinating that, that whole thing is fascinating to me and, and it gets into to me also this this in my own life the sense of just you know what does it mean to perceive subtle energies Right? And to really work with them consciously and to be attuned to them and to and, 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 and that sense of like, you know, like in a dime work, oh my gosh, right? You know, when you're perceiving all this flux and feeling, I mean feeling these fluxes and attuning with it and and they're very to me they're very real, you know, but I don't know and, and I I don't know if those if that is if my perception of that is, I don't think it's structured linguistically. It's it's a it's a felt sense. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and that's why I think it's so much, it's very hard to put words around those sort of things because it's not a, it's not, it's not, it's not a linguistic realm, right? Right. I mean, great sex, same thing, right? It's like, oh no, I mean, it's, there's all sorts of energetic comings and goings and flowings and, uh, and, and of course, I me mean, just saying that is such a stupid thing, right? And, and compared to the lived reality of what mm-hmm. awesome sex is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, or or just like you know, swimming in a river, and whatever. I mean, just you know, just the tangible thing of just being in the moment, in in the physical. But it's not just physical in a sense of sort of reductionist sense of physicality. It's it's to me. It's the also the f- flux of feeling and, and, and of you know whatever that's going on because I am a processualist in my that's just my I mean that's just my my metaphysics I mean I've been I studied James and Bergson for way too long right. and, and I'm just you know whatever Taoism to not be you know but at the same time I'm also a Western guy who's embedded in a Western language and mm-hmm. and I do see objects and, and from a practical standpoint, you know, I, I interact with objects hopefully skillfully. You know, but I but on a deeper level I I, I have a suspicious and, and I work to sort of like let go of that attachment to those things. But it's right. it's a work. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's something that I, I wish we would talk about more in the Chinese medicine community because only a few people I've met, uh, teachers, that have actually talked about that's a clinical tool Mm -hmm. is your intuition and you're tapping into this other realm that is, you know, pre-verbal. And and I think Taryn works, at least the what from the conversa- conversations we've had, I think you work in that space quite a lot. Because at some point you get to, you're in, you're with your patient, and you're already getting information as soon as you meet them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then you have a conversation, and then that sort of like shuts down that side of the brain a little bit, or like turns on another side while the other one's still mm-hmm. connecting with everything else and trying to, you know, gather information. And then at some point, you know, depending on the practitioner, I think you the the intuition's like, okay, I I'm getting something. I need to shut off this side. Can I just can we just lay down? Can we just, <laughs> sh- 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 yeah. just yeah. stop the verbal? I need to just yeah. connect. You know, and I think if we um, if more of us trusted that, or maybe even it's a matter of you know when we're younger, teaching kids that it's yeah. not something to be afraid of and something to actually trust and somehow develop. I, I don't yeah. know how to do that, to be honest, because I think I've yeah. been conditioned too much um, that I don't really know other than, you know, allowing kids to really just delve into their imagination yeah. <clears throat> and sort of never squashing that. Yeah. Um, one of our teachers, Ed, uh, talks about that a lot. Um, so Ed was coming back from, he's, well, he's, he's an MD. But you can tell the story. I just want to tell Bill because Bill's going to know the place where he was. And he was training at Barbara Brennan School. Oh, really? Okay. And so he was on okay. his way back to the West Coast from being at, okay. like, he's in year two or whatever, you know, yeah. and he's flying yeah. back. Yeah. And so, and this little kid goes, look, mommy, the sun, and points, it, points at him. Oh. Right? And she's Got like, two. Yeah. that's just a man. 
And the kid's like, no, mommy, that man is the sun. Because he was like, you know, right. Ed, Ed was wow. on fire at that moment. Wow. And, That's that and the kid right. like wouldn't back down until finally the mother basically just kept telling him he was wrong. He was wrong. He was wrong. Oh and the kid gosh. was super excited to be like pointing at the shiny man, you know, and just oh and witnessed gosh. the kid like, oh break, you know, and oh like go from God. being right. so excited oh spirit. when he was right. seeing, you know, this, this person glow to just being like, you know, okay, no, you're right. It's not the sun. Oh, and it was like, it was so such true. a heartbreaking moment. Oh, right. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. Totally heartbreaking. Yeah, no, it's totally, that's, I mean, because I think that, that definitely there's, I mean, there's a whole thing, we conversation we can have about the imagination too, you know, I mean, this is something, again, that Jeff Kripal has been really great about, you know, in terms of exploring the imaginal realms, you know, this whole thing with Henri Corbin and uh, these, these, this, this that, that, that sort of level of perception and, and just that sort of, but, but, you know, for, for myself, this is a... I mean, I, I became interested in Bergson because I, I originally was going to, wanted to write a book on, and my second book was going to be on just intuition. Mm. And, and I said, well, I want to find the people who have really, really explored intuition and, and, and came upon him, and, and which, is, which is cool because he was a close friend of the man, William James, who I wrote my first book on. And, and so then I said, okay, I'm just going to become a you know, really dive into Bergson and and the irony of it was is that uh I was like I don't know almost 700 pages into my into my second book and and I and I hadn't gotten to his work on intuition yet (laughs) 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 and I I had to stop and so and so the funny I mean so it's funny because I mean I I read a ton of it and I know a ton of it but it's I didn't get a chance to really write explore the the subtleties that is understanding of intuition because mm-hmm. it's very it's very subtle and the thing that I that I that I had really wanted to get out of was this more sort of Jungian understanding of intuition as sort of just as a more as a almost um, or certainly the way in which a lot of people think of intuition is more just sort of like this something that's, that happens within our own just sort of limited psyche mm-hmm. right now obviously Jung with his collective you know, unconscious should have a sense of this tapping into more. And I think he does, mm-hmm. but there, but, but early Jung certainly, you know, with, with the, like the Myers-Briggs, mm-hmm. you know, like and that, that sort of thing. Um, it's, it begins to feel more like it when people talk about intuition, it's sort of just this something that's also sort of within your brain in a sense. Right. And, and, and to me, intuition is not about, the brain as much of, except to the extent that the brain is an, a, a tuning device uh, to to these levels of of knowing that that are uh, again precognitive or post transcognitive. Again, this is this is the whole pre trans thing with mm-hmm. with Wilbur. I think is really yep. important. And I don't know if I've got quite the handle on which way I, I would. I guess I'm, I would probably be more. And Bergson would lean more towards the trans too, actually. Yeah. Uh, in that I mean, case, um, because it, it is a it's a synthesis. Because it, he, he contrasts intuition to in, in instinct. It's, it's an instinct. Say that. La, say that last part again. He, he contrasts intuition to instinct. Uh, and okay. instinct is would be more like pre pre, yeah. And, but it's 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 sort of because of that it's it's sort of limited so like you know there you know he gives you the famous example of this wasp who um has to sting this caterpillar and this caterpillar uh he has to sting the caterpillar so that the caterpillar becomes paralyzed 
and can't leave the wasp's nest, but also doesn't die because then he, the, the wasp has to insert its eggs into the caterpillar so the eggs have the living being to eat on. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, somehow the caterpillar has to know almost like if it stings it here, it's going to this like between like a millimeter, you know, meter or whatever, I mean, this tiny, tiny little distance. If he stings it there, it's going to die. If he stings it there, it's going to, and somehow it knows that exact places to sting on the caterpillar without being taught, mm -hmm. right? And, and, you know, there's this whole, and so he's like saying, well, he knows this because he's a tapped in, he, he's, he's, a, it's a very like limited uh, conduit for that elan vital, that, that cosmic life mm -hmm. force that, you know, and, but it's, it's, it's a very narrow, constricted thing. And so then human beings had to get free of that instinctual, just sort of like, it's just a little mechanical almost, and mm -hmm. to be able to like question and, and see different perspectives and, and the value of rationality in this, in this case, right, the intellect you, you talked about, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, but then, so then intuition is more like, Retapping back into that alarm vital, but with the sort of the pers the freedom of the multi perspectival sense that that rationality brings, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so you don't you don't like go backwards. You you know right. synthesize, yeah. right? It's something. And even then, he wasn't satisfied with that. He, he would never that, that what I just said. He would probably go. Oh, you know, I mean, it's it's way too simplistic, right. you know, what I just said. And he was very cognizant of that. Um, so, anyway, but I mean, at least that sense that um, to myself, you know, I I, I know that uh, more and more in my, my, my life, I, I value that sort of knowing and that sense of, uh, and, and sometimes even, even in like when I'm teaching and, and, and or having profound conversations like this, it's like there's that I I I I never think of what I'm gonna say. You know, it's just sort of like let's just let something flow, mm -hmm. right? And there's no sort of like planning something out and strategizing and thinking, you know, pros and cons and stuff. It's just sort of like quiet. The mind down and and just you know I let something come out but of course it's coming out because I've, I've had these years of training and immersion right. in the subject matter right and it's, it's coming filtered through that and it's and and the quieting the mind doesn't happen just like that it's been years and years of meditative practice too right you know but there is something that 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 you know, and, and Taryn, of course, in my book, I talked about, you know, it's, it's sort of like a type of mediumship, right? Mm -hmm. A type of just letting something bigger, you know, being a, a channel for something bigger. Right. And, and, and I think that that sort of training is really important. And there are ways to train ourselves to do that. I, that's, that's, I guess that's the sort of the bottom line is I, I, I think that I, I think meditative practice is a huge developer of, of intuition especially if we can begin to have a, a metaphysical framework that values it explicitly. If I, cause I'm a big fan of here's where I'm a big fan of cognitive things. I think that our frameworks matter a ton. Mm -hmm. right? So I think I want to, I want to give a lot of work 
to creating as sophisticated and uplifting and exalted uh, metaphysical framework that's as true to my own lived experience as I can and the one that I, I feel like that can actively promote the, the deepest level of self-transformation and transformation others that I know. And and because there are some frameworks that are just inherently, it doesn't matter. You, you get these real deep intuitive experiences, and if it comes into a framework that's really restrictive and let's say bigoted or misogynist or whatever, it's gonna get really distorted, right? Yep. So it's like I think there's this real important thing that has to happen of of like how are we going to frame and interpret and understand those sort of in, intuitive knowings or those mm -hmm. mystical insights or what happened you know? do, do we talk, I don't think that's talked about enough yeah really. I, and that's actually kind of where I was going do we talk about um, any of Benita Roy's work on this notion of metaphysical primes which I think she has borrowed from another thinker who I, I'm not sure who but basically time change and causality are what she thinks of as the metaphysical primes and so part of a subset of her work is like really looking at how if we're leaving modernism and pre-modernism, I mean, post-modernism, right? Which she looks at as a closed loop of linear causality. Um, <laughs> that what does it look like to exit that whole frame, right? And so how do time change and causality have to shift, right? And if we get to the pre-trans, right? So like, I don't think of indigenous thought systems as being pre necessarily, though a lot of times they get yeah. lumped in with pre. Um, I think yeah. they're kind of outside, yeah. but she, and, and she would typically agree with that. But if you think about this kind of like, you know, prior to mo modernism, uh, we were in a cyclic orientation to temporality, yeah. right? And yeah, yeah. Yeah. consequently, yeah. Change and causality were really different phenomenon and understandings as well, but right. we couldn't identify right. what they were necessarily, yeah. you know, until yeah. like the Greeks probably, uh, at least in the West, yeah. right? Um, and you know, then with the advent of modernism, right, we came into this like whole mechanistic, you know, linear clockwork approach, yeah. and so now we're kind of at this precipice, right, potentially, for that coming to, I mean, an end, if you will, but not necessarily, mm -hmm. <clears throat> end is maybe not the best word if we're talking about stepping into a different relationship yeah. to temporality yeah. and causality. Um, so yeah. how this yeah. relates to what you're speaking to, right, I think is that th this for me is sometimes a way of orienting some of those pieces of what the framing, like how I want to examine the framing is when I look at how yeah. a particular system engages with time yeah. change and causality, I feel like That's it allows me to understand how much I do or don't resonate with it, but even more importantly, yeah. how much it does or doesn't resonate with the way that I, at this point in my current level of development, I'm understanding nature and reality kind of, kind of express themselves. And so if mm -hmm. it's out of phase, yeah. right? If those primes are out of phase with that, and I'm like, okay, well, that's not a model that's close yeah. enough to, you know, what I can perceive as reality that it's really worth investigating or spending much time with right now. Because um, yeah. they're, you know, for no, me, like, I, yeah. Totally understand that because, I mean, um, you know, it's been fascinating, it's just, just fascinating to me because, I mean, basically my 
whole, I mean, almost every book I've written takes 10 to 12 years. And so uh, the 10 to 12 years I spent with Bergson was all about time. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's his thing really. Yeah. And that's, that's why I, I didn't get to intuition because <laughs> I had to really get like, what is time, you know, and what is reality and, 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 um, and space. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so then I, it's really been beautiful to me to see the, again, sort of, uh, like, again, I keep harping back to Tantra, right? But this, it, it, I, I, so much of it has to do with this divinization of time hmm. and, and space, really, um, and, and sort of unkinking it and um, feeling interdependent and, and also causality in terms of the sort of the sort of mutual, mm-hmm. simultaneous interpenetration of can say of very it's almost like it's, it's come so plural it's like what it, we talked about this before Taryn you know it's mm-hmm. like it's sort of like that it is that Buddhist notion of, of uh, code in interdependent yeah, right. mutual rising right and it's like I mean what is causation from there right but right. there's been it's been it's been fascinating to me to be it, I, I never I loved hearing you say that just those three things because I was saying, yeah, that's been my work for the God knows how long, for decades now, and 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 even like when I'm doing these um, little one-hour things, I was, I was telling you about with the beyond the buyer with this tantric text, and um, where it gives like 112 what they call yuktis or sort of a, what sometimes they call dharnas of, of ways to sort of gain experiential access to the source. Uh, and the last few weeks we've been focusing on space Mm. and this um and it's been fascinating to me to see um how they're working with it and um so for instance the one we're going to be talking about this coming monday um we've been for the last it's always been just like it, it's it's not um, sh- it, the, the word is shunya, right? Um, and it's the same shunyata, right? You know, um, and and you know, there's always the, the, the very ex- exquisitely beautiful sort of Nagarjuna sort of understanding of of what that is, and the no thingness of whatever. Um, but there, but you know, I was reading in in. Um, this book called Introduction to Tantra by Lama Yeshe. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, there's all that. But really, if you want to get the transformative power of space, you need to just work with that sense of just space, <laughs> you know, and, and really try to, so, so a lot of it's envisioning everything as empty space, mm-hmm. you know, like that. So that like right, right now, though, like I said, the, the one we're going to be working on, I said, that seeing your skin is just sort of like a, a like a partition mm-hmm. between infinite in, infinite space on the outside and infinite space inside, and it's just sort of like it's just infinite space, and to contemplate that, and uh, whoo, I, I, I've been I've been it's it's a whole different experiential thing that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really profound and and i'm and i feel like i'm just beginning to get my toes wet and in, in, into it just because i 
just just sitting like really so for basically the last two months i've just been really trying to just experientially open into that and use what they call uh bhavana which is like a creative uh, imagination or creative contemplations where you 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 so so it isn't saying that space is the divine but it's saying like in the same way that if you're going to talk about time talk about the present moment <laughs> like explore into the subtleties of the present moment what does that mean to be present right and so this is like and that's like a doorway into something that's beyond words right and so but but you we have our experience of being present and what that and, and and the same thing with the space. It's like, okay, what does it mean to feel into infinite space? You know, and to and to, to let yourself let go of that sense of temporal or, or, or spatial location, spatial boundedness, mm -hmm. and to just <clears throat> open. And, it, and it's a correspondence to sort of inner spaciousness that, to me, is is linked very much to stillness of mind. And so there's a, there's a, anyway, it, it's not, it's something that I'm, I'm just, just, I feel like I'm just beginning to open into and, but it's just been fascinating to me that you bring up space that, that, that's my long way of coming around to sort of saying that, yeah, there's something really cool about space, you know, and I'm like, I want to know more about it. Yeah. <laughs> Are you familiar with the void practice? No. It's used in a, a few different Sufi traditions, but um, it's, similar right where you know it's a contemplative practice where first you are into breath and then you start to feel the space behind where the third eye is right like mm -hmm. seek the space inside the interior of the cranium there's not a lot of space mm -hmm. in there, unless you you kind of also with a kind of bhavana like imagination you feel that space and then you perceive the negative space right here mm. right yeah, and then oh, you start nice, to perceive nice. the space behind you. And then yeah, what you do, yeah. and, and often it's done while walking, right? You can certainly do it sitting, but you can do it while walking or dancing or, you know, uh, a martial art kind of practice. You focus on the space between things, right? So you don't look yeah. at the things. You look at the space. Yeah. And you feel yeah. into and inhabit that space. So I don't know. That might yeah, be fun to play nice. with in the same. It's not quite yeah, as. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can take it into the infinite, but it's a little more yeah. in the eminent, you know, domain yeah. of how to yeah, explore that, that relationship that. to spaciousness, both internally and externally. Um, That's lovely. I that. was wondering if, because you know, in theory, this is going to be heard by literally billions of people. Um, <laughs> you would speak more <laughs> to what you mean by divinization because I have a feeling there's going to be some folks that are listening to this that aren't entirely familiar with that term. And you've used it a couple of yeah. times. Yeah. I mean, to me, you know, this comes back to the early church fathers and let's probably mothers too, but we don't know so much about that because we've got the patriarchal tradition. So, yeah. you know, well, whatever we can talk about sad, but, but um, it's, it's, it's this understanding that, and, and again, this is very rudimentary and it's much more subtle than this, but that um, for, for the early you know, Christian tradition, it was the feeling was that um, the goal of, of 
spiritual life with what they call theosis. And, and that means becoming divine. And so that what the, the feeling was is that the, it literally says that God became man or human so that humans could become God. I mean, they put it that bluntly. And um, so, but, the, but, the, but then they were careful. They were saying, it doesn't mean that you become the omnipotent creator of the cosmos. It doesn't mean you become God the Father. But it means, it means that you can align yourself increasingly more and more. And this is with the grace of God and in Christian tradition through, the, you know, through baptism especially and the second birth, the spiritual birth that comes through that sort of awakening through the link through, through, through the Christ. Um, but, and to me, great, we have a whole other discussion about grace because I think it's central. <clears throat> but um, um, through grace, uh, you gain the capacity to become more and more um, aligned with the energies of the divine, i.e. love or power or um or justice or truth or wisdom these are all from their perspective these are divine qualities that are um the energies of god that but they're not the the sort of the transcendent essence of god in essence and so that that, that the job of our lives is to more and more embody and express these qualities in, with less and less distortion, right? To sort of gradually sort of um, grow into the capacity to be genuinely compassionate and clear and loving and present. All and, and for, from from their perspective, these are all divine qualities that are also our human nature. That, that sort of, and this is the, this comes into the the Sufi understanding of you know the, the, the that's that only human beings have that capacity to you know uh, embody all the names of God, and so the names of God say have the, they have the same sort of notion. The names of God are manifest these you know mercy or that are, are the, the qualities or the energies of the divine, right? and so it's that's yeah that's what divinization. Awesome. And at 7.30. <laughs> it's like, okay, there we go. <laughs> that's all. That minor thing. But, but to me, just one, one last thing about that. To me, again, there's that's a becoming project, right? That's a project of, of, of moving and of transforming, of getting to where you're not. And to me, there, that, that has to coexist with it, relaxing into what already is and accepting that and not that it's not about becoming something different it's it's about opening into what you already are right and so that to me is a real crucial tension and so divinization is only half the half the project from my perspective <laughs> that's all <laughs> just half <laughs> bill do yeah. you do you want to yeah. say anything about the book that is not yet published um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be an epically long conversation. Um, yeah, I no, no, I mean, I'll just give the, give you. Yeah, I'll just give a name of it. Um, it's it's going to it's called Liquid Light. Um, at this point, the subtitle is um, Ayahuasca Visions and Embodying Divinity in the Santo Daimi Religious Tradition. 
<laughs> so, awesome. so yeah it's, it's, it's you've so, read it's, some of it I, i've i've no, read yeah, all of it oh man <laughs> it, it is it's now thanks a lot to to taryn and other people like taryn it's it's been cut and polished down to it's like a little diamond now <laughs> very happy about it <laughs> anyway that, are we getting close to this are we getting close to publishing or Oh yeah, no. I've I've sent the manuscript out, and it's it's basically it's it's it, I mean this is um, it's through Columbia University Press, and um, so it's you know it it's just we're we're getting ready to have a copy edited and figure out where the photos go. It's that sort of excellent. And do you have an ETA for when the website is going to be live? Is that when the book is published, or is that a different timeline? Yeah, no, no. I think so. It's got to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the book's supposed to come out this fall. Okay. Yeah. If if all goes well. Very cool. Yeah, God willing. Inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> so guys have been beautiful, you know. I mean I, I have to actually get going myself. I'm sorry if we no, we, no, we it's could great, uh, Bill. Thank you for Oh my god, we could amazing. Just, like, what a pleasure, what a joy oh, to talk to you guys about these sort of things. Oh my awesome. god. Just, All right, brother, I love you. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. Love you guys. Thanks a lot. Great Bill. to meet you, Lucas. You just, too. Okay, see ya. Take care. Take care. Uh,